we're in a series that we just started last week called Here's the Thing. And um, I, I love that series title because it's going to allow me to talk about quite a few subjects because Here's the Thing, as we defined last week, kind of introduces everything that, that we want to talk about. But the underlying message throughout it all will be from Romans fourteen seventeen: the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, look, this is what the kingdom of God is about, righteousness, peace, and joy. And because of his righteousness, we should be experiencing peace and joy in our lives through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. So, in the Holy Spirit. Um, the thing is this. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's always going to be just right. Everything's going to always the way we want it, all those things. But Somewhere in us, no matter what's kind of going on, we should be uh, settled in this peace deep in our souls and this joy, knowing that He's got us forever, should be in there. And when it's not, it's, it's on our end. And so we need to look at things that are causing us to not be in that space where we're experiencing a measure of His peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so I said last week as I introduced this series that Oftentimes we'll sort of say things like, well, there's this thing in my life that's keeping me from really experiencing all the life that he has for me. It's this thing. If I could just deal with this thing. And I said, most likely it's really not that thing that we think it is. It's something behind that thing. That's the reality. There's things behind the things that are causing us issues. Uh, we tend to be people that want to deal with symptoms instead of causes. We want to deal with kind of fruit instead of root. But we need Jesus to really help us dig into the root of situations where He can heal them and He can help us in that process. And, and so, you know, with all this in mind, I was, it was funny, this week, Alice and I, we, we drove to a vineyard meeting up in Weston, uh, and on the way I got this phone call. And the, the phone call just upset me a little bit. Now, Alice would tap into it right away. You, you, not everybody might catch it when I'm, I don't, I'm not a yeller or anything. I get quiet. So, so I don't know how you guys get angry, but, but far, you know, I just kind of get, I get a little withdrawn and I get quiet. And so Alice picked it up right away and she said, you know, what's going on? What, what happened on the phone call? And I said, I started thinking, I said, well, it's, it really wasn't the phone call, though that was kind of the trigger. It's causing me some other issues back in here. And I realized it's not that, it's these things that are, that are causing me this whole situation. And so we were able to kind of talk through some of those things and it was very helpful. And, and so uh, my thing was I noticed that I wasn't settled anymore and what was going on, and it wasn't this focusy thing. It was something behind it. And so there's, there's something very helpful in even starting to think like that that will help you stay more engaged in the peace and joy that we're to experience in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about some things behind the things today or a big thing behind the thing. But uh, transition. These, were, these have really bombed, but I'm going to keep doing them. You know the little uh, paper mask that sometimes you, you, they want you to wear uh, at the doctor's office? It's called a coffee filter. Coffee filter. You know, I knew that my addiction to Thanksgiving leftovers had gotten out of hand, so I quit cold turkey. It's not too bad. Now, this is my favorite, but you may not get it. Haikus are easy, but sometimes they don't make sense. 
refrigerator. <laughs> you know, it's funny that I was pretty aware of some people that would get it. <coughs> Haiku is a, I have to explain it. It's a type of poetry with 17 syllables. Go back and watch a video. Now, okay, here we go. So in the Scripture, when you read the Scripture, which I'm always wanting you to do, you've got to read the Scripture, um, especially when we're looking at encounters that Jesus has. Uh, oftentimes, the thing that we think Jesus will deal with is not the thing that He deals with at all. He deals with something completely different. He deals with the thing behind the thing. And we talked about that last week when we looked at Bartimaeus. Well, in the Scripture reading today, there's another one of those events. I want to talk about it with you briefly. Mark chapter 2. A few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, uh, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up take your mat and go home. And he got up and he took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Amazing story. Let me talk about it for a minute. So um, Jesus has just come back to Capernaum and he's in a house. Uh, houses are not very big, probably, you know, max out with people crammed in at say 40 folks. And, and yet people have heard about Jesus and they, they know that he's back and they want to go and listen to Jesus and they know that healings have been taking place. They're trying to get to Jesus. But house is full. You can't even, even get to the door area. It's just packed. People around the house, everybody just trying to listen. So Mark sort of sets the stage. And then it's very emphatic in the original language. He said some men came. So he sort of has let you know he's set the scene and now this is the big deal. And these four guys are coming, and they're carrying with them their friend who's a paralytic. He's immobilized, and they have him on some sort of stretcher or sheet or something. But the picture is, a, you know, a guy in each corner carrying them, and they want to get him to Jesus because they, they just convinced that they can get him to Jesus, that Jesus can get him to walk. And so that's what they're looking for. And they get to the house, huge crowd. They can't get in. Now, they could have done a lot of things. You know, they could have oh, well, we're not going to make it, we can't get in, or they could have just left him there, whatever. They, they, I guess they had options. But they don't leave it like that. They, they, uh, they come up with their own plan, and they go up on the roof. And you know, most, most of those homes and the way they were designed in that area, the, the roof would have been flat, and you could have gone up there. There would have been steps to it. They would have used it from time to time. So they take their friend up on the roof. But what they then begin to do is they actually begin to, in the language, they dig through, so it would have been an earthen, they dig through the roof. Now, I, I always think about this, and I hope when you read the Scripture you think like this. Like, what would it have been like to be sitting in the house? You're at a nice little small group meeting. 
you know, you got your chips and dip happening and you're listening to somebody teach and it's just a, it's a lovely, lovely time. You know, you have your refreshing beverage. Everything is good. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you, some dirt starts falling on your head. And you, 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 you look up and it just then really starts pouring in the dirt, you know, and they're, they're making a hole and you're just looking at it. And I, I, I often think, I often think, you know, Jesus would have seen that. He'd have been smiling. The homeowner, not so much. I'd be like, are you going to fix that? What's going on? Hopefully Jesus did his thing when he was done. And, and uh, boom, new roof. And now it's a metal roof, so you're really good. So anyway, <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? Poof, metal roof, metal roof. You get a roof, and you get a roof, and you get a roof. I don't know where that came from. Anyway, <laughs> so they, they lower him. They dig a hole, and they lower him to Jesus. Now, you know what they want him to do? Heal their friend. So Jesus looks at their friend and he sees, he's really impressed by everything that's happened in their faith and he says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's shocked by that because that's not what they were expecting at all. They, that's not what they were looking for. In fact, their friends had just dug a hole through the roof were probably, really? And the, the religious people are saying, only God can do that, which is good because he just did, right? So, so there's that happening. And then, you know, if you get a chance, read this path. There's so many deep things happening there. There's some, some pictures in there. Of, of, of Mark writes it on purpose. These guys are sort of acting like pallbearers in one sense, and then they're digging like a grave in one sense because he's dead in his sins. And yet when he meets Jesus, he gets to rise again. There's a whole other story within the story that you need to see. But what we're talking about now is so he's, Jesus says your sins are forgiven because that's really important, this whole idea, our seeds sins. We need to be forgiven so that we can have life. And then he said, Jesus says, well, okay, so that you can know that I can do that, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and he walks and he takes his mat. Really cool story. So there's a lot going on there. But there's something you need to see about how important forgiveness was in the midst of this story. And so I want to talk today about forgiveness and unforgiveness. And I want to suggest to you that unforgiveness is one of the biggest things behind the things that we experience in the course of our lives. That, that there's a whole lot of things that happen because of unforgiveness, and so we need to address it and deal with it and uh, see what it looks like. So let's hop in there with that today. Point number one in your notes is this. Wait, I've lost point number one. Well, there it is. Oh, you know what? Before I get to point number one, I want I wanted to start with this, so that's why I couldn't find it. Um, so we're, we're thinking about unforgiveness, and I read a, a study from the Mayo Clinic. And I don't usually, you know, put uh, studies from hospitals and stuff in there, clinics like that. But later on, I'm going to give you a Bible verse that, 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 you know, that's like the clinic people copied the Bible verse about what's happening. So let's, let's go for unforgiveness. Here's some things that might happen if you're unforgiving. You might bring anger and bitterness into every relationship and new experience. That's one of the fallbacks. It's one of the things that happen with unforgiveness. You might become so wrapped up in the wrong that you can't enjoy the present. You might become depressed or anxious. You might feel that your life lacks meaning or purpose or that you're at odds with your spiritual beliefs. You can lose valuable and enriching connectedness with others. That's the result of a study. I actually put the link on the bottom of those notes so you can go look it up so you know I'm not just saying stuff, uh, making stuff up to fit. This was the result of studies, and there's numerous studies like this. And so what they've determined from, you know, these, these tests and studies is that 
unforgiveness brings anger and bitterness into every relationship and new experience. You're bringing that stuff with you into everybody that you relate with um, because it kind of moves itself through. It often causes us to get so stuck in the event when it happened that we never get to experience life from that point forward. We're just stopped in that situation. It, it, um, the studies show that it causes um, some depression and anxiety. Now, when I say that, I don't want you to immediately say all depression and anxiety is linked to unforgiveness. It's not, but it certainly is a factor. And you would go, well, how is that even possible? Well, the, the way it works at some level would be that something happened in your life that left you feeling powerless and out of control. And so all of us want to have, uh, at least feel like we're in some measure of control in our lives. So when things are happening that make us feel like we're out of control or powerless again, one of the things that kicks in sometimes is anxiety and levels of depression because they're related to unforgiveness. It's the thing behind the thing. So let's, let's dig into that. Point number one. Here's something you need to know. You are going to be offended. Not by me, hopefully, right now. But um, in life, you're going to be offended. So, and, and people go, well, obvious. You know, here's the thing. We say it at some level, and yet oftentimes if I'm talking to someone that's going through something, the they, their thing that they say to me is, I can't believe that this happened. And, and so they're, we're caught off guard. But here's one level of reality we need to be walking in is that all of us are broken, all of us are a mess, all of us are going to walk through this life and have uh, unrealized expectations. We're going to put things on people that they can't fulfill. People are going to do that to us. Um, people are going to let us down. Sometimes they're going to hurt us. Uh, it's going to be people that we know, uh, and it can happen. Sometimes we're going to disappoint people, and we're going to hurt people because we're broken as well. It's part of what happens in life. Now, I say that, and, and there's, there's something you need to know. So there's kind of normal offenses, if you, if you would. There, it doesn't mean that they don't matter or that they don't hurt. They do. But there's things that happen in the course of our lives that we need to learn to have enough grace for because we mess up enough that we allow them to move through our situations by forgiving what's happening because we realize there's brokenness in people and it's going to happen. There's another layer of stuff that I, I, I want to make sure that you know that there are some her, um, offenses that are so horrific I am not making light of them. And I understand that. We'll talk about that in a minute. We're still called to forgive, but we, we have to know what forgiveness is before we get to that. But in the, in the scope of our day-to-day -day lives, if generally if people hurt us or do something, you know, or don't meet our expectations, we need to be people that are forgiving right away because we're going to do the same thing. And so we have to understand that's part of this journey, and it's what we're going to have to do. Jesus said in John 8, 7, they kept questioning him. He straightened up and said, if, if any of you is without sin, let them be the first to throw a stone at her. And so what we have to understand is, you know, people sin differently than we do, but, but because we're all still a mess, we have to have some grace in this whole situation. We're a mess. One of my favorite things, Alice and I will say to each other, my, my granddaughter, um, one of my granddaughters, I put her in the car seat one day, and she'd been eating chocolate, and she had chocolate over her hands, and she doesn't like having stuff on her hands, you know, and, and so she looked at me with her hands, and she went, Granddad, I am a mess. And I looked back at her, and I said, yeah, me too. I'm a mess too. Good point. I didn't have any chocolate on my hands, just in general. I'm a mess. I get it. And sometimes we're messier than others, but we need to know that, and sort of having that understanding will help us stay in a spot where, you know, we're not as surprised by things happening, you know, and I'm, I'm talking this level of things, not this really horrific level of stuff. Okay. Secondly, 
Forgiveness is empowering for you. Forgiveness is empowering for you. If you don't hear me say anything else today, this is what you got to get. Unforgiveness isn't a protector. It's a prison. If you don't hear me say anything else, I want you to think about that this week. So here's what happens. We get hurt, and, and significantly, those big hurts. We say, well, this person hurt me, so here's what I'm going to do to protect myself so they can't hurt me again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep what I think is this wall of protection up by not forgiving them. Because I think if I forgive them, somehow I'm just inviting them to go ahead and do that whole thing all over again because that's my misconception of forgiveness. So I'm going to put this wall up so that I'm safe so they can never hurt me again. The problem with a, a wall of unforgiveness is that it only imprisons you. The offender doesn't care. They're not spending time thinking about the fact that you don't forgive them. They're off doing their own thing, having their own life. The way that you know that is if someone has offended you and they care about it, they will do what they can to sincerely repent. And, and sincere repentance means they're, they're going to demonstrate a willingness to change over time and regain trust. It doesn't mean they're going to come at you and say you're supposed to forgive and, you know, and just kind of hit you with it, beat you over the head with it. That's not repentance. They're going to know that, that they've wronged and that they're willing to do what it takes to make it right. But for the most part, especially that big stuff, they just don't care. But, and so we put this unforgiveness up, and all of a sudden now it's our prison. It's not theirs. And, and it's only impacting us. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, Paul said, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And I hope when you read that, that's the verse I was talking about. To me, it looked just like that study of what's happened. Here's all the bad stuff that happened become of unforgiveness. And in a moment, we'll read the good stuff that comes from forgiveness. But the way that we get rid of that stuff isn't, oh, we're just going to stop doing it. We're going to forgive each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave us. Because He forgives us, we're going we're to forgive other folks on the journey. And so forgiveness is the key to getting rid of all those negative things in our life. And, and, and God tells me to forgive. He actually commands us to forgive um, because He's for us. And when I forgive, I'm free. When I don't forgive, I'm in bondage. And unforgiveness spreads into every relationship, every situation, every circumstance. When you're carrying it, you, think, you might think, oh, no, it's compartmentalized. It's just there. It is not. It's impacting everything that you do. That's what's causing the traps in your life. And so, so we have to get rid of it. So what is it? Because this is, I think, the big issue. We just don't know what it really is, and that's why we toss this unforgiveness up. So let's look at the Mayo Clinic again real quick, that study, because these are the health benefits of forgiveness. Healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a strong immune system, and improved heart health. So nobody could look at me and tell me you don't really want that stuff in your life. No, I'd rather stick with my unforgiveness. Thank you, I'm good. Healthy relationships, think better, less stress, less anxiety, less hostility, lower blood pressure, all, all those good things. Again, to me, it's just like that verse that Paul said. See, we're going to be kind and compassionate to one another because we can, because we're, 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 we're sort of in this place where we know that God got us and that we can trust Him on the journey. So what is it? Let me define, let me tell you what forgiveness is first. Forgiveness is letting go 
of anger and resentment and trusting God to deal with the offender in the situation. That's what we're talking about, forgiveness. We're just going to, we're going to quit carrying it around and we're going to let God have it and we're going to trust that he's going to deal with the offender in the situation that's on God. We can't. He's going to do it. But you can only do that if you know what it isn't. It's not. B, pretending that everything is fine. That is not part of forgiveness. You don't have to pretend like it wasn't uh, an issue when it was or it wasn't a big deal or it's going to get swept under or whatever it is. That's not forgiveness. It's not pretending that, that something, that there wasn't an offense. Not forgiveness. C, it isn't necessarily reconciling or having contact with the offender. I think that's a big one. People think, well, if I forgive someone, then I have to let them right back into my life and my situation. Absolutely not. If someone is willing to change sincerely over time, then we can make room for reconciliation. But if they're not, then you keep a boundary up. It's not unforgiveness, though. It's a healthy boundary set by love that just says, until you're willing to change in a, in a way that's demonstrated, then, then these things are different. And, and it, that's not me being mean. That's just the way, you know, it needs to be because that's a healthy sort of boundary. So, so a lot of people withhold forgiveness because they think what, what's being said is, oh, you've got to go, the, this person who horrifically offended you at some point, you're just inviting them back in. Absolutely not. That's not forgiveness. It's also not this, D. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. Now, a lot of people think that forgive and forget is some sort of Bible verse because they've heard it all the time. Well, the Bible says forgive and forget. You know that it doesn't say that, right? There is not a Bible verse that says forgive and forget. It's not in the Bible. There are some um, scriptures about God being able to forgive us and forget, and I, I put one there in the notes for you, but he can do that because he's God. We're not, and we don't have the capacity to forget like that. The harder that you try to forget something, you know what you do? You remember it more. Try and forget something. Well, it's getting easier for me nowadays, but that's not the issue. <laughs> I was trying to think of a word the other day. I still haven't thought of it. Anyway, see, because unfortunately people have used that as a weapon. Well, you're a Christian. You're supposed to forgive and forget. No. I'm supposed to forgive because I'm commanded to, but that's not for your benefit. That's for mine. You need to deal with God. 